So this is sermon 23. We're gonna shoot six months very soon, and we are talking about shadows of Golgotha. I feel encouraged. Okay, good. Next time I preach the same sermon, I'm just gonna choose a different title. Okay, uh, shadows of Golgotha, and we are in the book of Leviticus today. Is it, did you say something, Barb? Leprosy, exactly. Today is our third week when we're talking about the law of the cleansing of the leper in, uh, in the Old Testament. So next week, the missionary will be here. I think we might close this up the week after. Um, we have two passages will be left dealing with leprosy, the leprosy of the garment and the leprosy of the house. No promises. I will try to study these passages. I haven't studied them yet. If there's interesting information, new interesting information, we'll study it. If it's pretty much the same thing we talked about, then we'll move on to something else. But this week is uh, week number three. We're talking about the, the law of the cleansing of the leper or the leprosy in the Old Testament. And how is that a picture of Christ, him crucified, to cleanse us and bring us near to God. Amen. Amen. Uh, we started in, in Leviticus 13 two weeks ago, and we talked about how leprosy is a picture of Sin, thank you. Uh, we talked about how leprosy is a picture of sin. And then last week, we talked about, if you guys remember, we started the ceremonies of how the leper who actually lives where? Outside, Outside the camp can actually be cleansed and be brought into the camp and even into the tabernacle to minister to God or, you know, offer sacrifices and stuff. And what we said last week is that there is two stages, Right. The leper is to be cleansed and to be removed from outside the camp to inside the camp, but not enter into the tabernacle yet, right? And today we're going to talk about the ceremonies, how the leper can be cleansed so he can move from outside the tent into the tabernacle of God or into the house of God. Amen? So last week we highlighted three things from Leviticus 14. I think that was 1 to 10. If you remember that the priest reaches out, I'm just refreshing our memory so we can launch into today knowing the, the big picture. That the priest reaches out to the one with the infection. The priest go out to the outside the camp to uh, examine the leper and declare him cleansed. And then we saw a picture of death and resurrection. Two birds, one dies and the other one is dipped in the blood of that dead bird that with running water, clean water. And they have the Scarlet, and what else? Uh, cedarwood, and something else. I can't remember the third part. What is it? Hesop, correct, correct, hesop. And they attach these three things into the living bird, dip it in the blood of the dead bird, and then they let the, the, the living bird go. So that's a picture of Jesus dying for our sins and being raised again from the dead to cleanse us from the, or change us from the power of sin. And then the last point we saw last week is that the one who was once leopard is now experiencing cleansing and connection. Now he's being cleansed. He's entered into the, uh, the assembly of God, not into the tabernacle yet. And then he is connected to the priest and everybody else around him after he was excluded. Amen. So we're going to pick up today from Leviticus 14, 10 to 32, but we're going to um, not read the whole thing. So here is now the laws of how he is moved from outside the, the tent into the tabernacle of God. So he has to go inside the camp and wait seven days. During that seven days, they just 
waiting to examine him on day number eight to see what happened to him. So, verse 10. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, three-tenth of an ephah of fine um, flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, and one log of oil. So, how many lambs he going to bring? Three. three lambs and uh, the flour that will be a grain offering and a log of oil. So, that's five items. Verse 11, then the priest who makes him clean or declares him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean and those five things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall take one male lamb and offer it as a what? Trespass offering. That's key. As a trespass offering and the log of oil, and, and wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. So they take one lamb and the oil, and we talked about this before in the peace offering. They, they wave it before the Lord, literally just move it, you know, horizontally like that in the presence of God, as if it's being presented to God, now it's being taken back to be offered. So this is first waved as a wave offering before the Lord. Verse 13, and he shall kill the lamb. Which lamb? The trespass offering lamb, okay? So that's the only one that he kills in the beginning of the ceremony. He kills only that one trespass offering lamb in the place where he kills the sin offering and the burned offering in a holy place. For as the sin offering um, is the priest's to the is, um, uh, priest, so is that trespass offering. It's a most holy. Verse 14. The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right hand of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of the right foot. So, you guys follow so far? Mm -hmm. Bring three lambs and oil and flour. They only kill one lamb, which is designated for a trespass offering. They wave it first, and then they slaughter it, and then they take the blood from that trespass offering and put it on three spots, on the leper. Where are they? The loop of the right ear, the big thumb, and the big toe of the foot. That's the three places. And then verse um, uh, verse 15, and the priest shall take some of the log of the oil and pour it into the palm of his left hand. So, so the way it works is this. Uh, here is his left hand. So he takes the oil with his right hand, okay, and he pours some of the oil on his and his left hand. Okay, so now there's some oil in his left hand, and then pretty much he takes his finger and dip it in the oil in his left hand, and then he put the oil on top of the blood in the three spots, on the ear loop, on the thumb, and on the toenail of the uh, person who is leper. You guys follow that? So the oil now is in, is in his left hand, fifth, verse 15, and the priest uh, shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his left hand. Then the priest... Um, then the priest shall dip his right finger, why right finger? Because the oil is in his left hand, okay? Uh, in the oil and uh, in the oil in his left hand, and he shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. So he sprinkled the oil first before the Lord. And then the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear of whom he is to be cleansed, on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of the right foot, on the blood of the trespass offering. You guys see that? So the oil comes on top of the blood. The rest of the oil, which is still left in his palm of his left hand, right? 
um, that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. So whatever oil that is left in his hand, left hand, he just pour it out on the head of that leper who is supposed to be cleansed. Amen? The rest of the oil, uh, verse 18, the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. Verse 19, then the priest shall offer the sin offering and make an atonement. Now that these ceremonies are done, they go back to the two lambs that they have not touched so far, right? Remember, he brings three lambs, right? They slaughtered one only for the trespass offering. There's two left. Now that this ceremony is done, they go back and they slaughter that sin offering and make atonement for him who's cleansed from his uncleanness. Afterward, he kills the burnt offering, which is the last standing lamb, okay? The burnt offering, and the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar, and the priest shall make atonement for him um, and he shall be cleansed. But if the man is poor, this is important. If the man is poor, he cannot afford three lambs. What does he do? And he cannot afford it. Then he shall take one male lamb as a trespass offering to be waived and make atonement for him. One tenth of Eva of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering and a log of oil. And two turtle doves or two young pigeons, uh, such as to be able to be offered. One shall be the sin offering and one shall be the burned offering. And all the ceremony pretty much is the same. So question, if the man is poor, what changes here? Pretty much everything is identical, except instead of having three lambs, they bring still one lamb for the trespass offering. And then they substitute that burnt offering and the sin offering with two turtles or two pigeons because they're a whole lot cheaper. But the one thing that doesn't change regardless of your ability or how much money you have is that what? Which lamb? The trespass offering. That's key. That's the one they used to do the ceremony. That's the one that doesn't change regardless if you can afford it or not. You guys follow the ceremony so far. Okay. So let's just dig into deeper into that. It's really good. So let's just look into like uh, the symbolism and the meaning behind all of that and how is that a picture of, uh, of Christ. Again, last week we saw how a man is moved from outside the camp to inside the camp, right? Now, where is that leper now? He's coming into that? Tab, not just the camp. He's already in the camp. Where is his offering all these sacrifices? We can read that in verse... Um, Verse 19, and on the eighth day he shall take two lambs uh, and one ewe lamb, the first year without blemish. And, and then verse um, 11, then the priest who makes him clean shall present this man who is to be made clean. And those things where? Before the Lord. That's verse 11. Before the Lord at the tabernacle of meeting. Do you see now where is that leper? He's actually inside the tabernacle where God dwells, right? Now he moved all the way in. And this final ceremony by which he actually can be absolutely cleansed, free to worship God any way he wants, involves all this stuff that we just talked about. And in a way, we see kind of a similarity between this ceremony and the ceremony of the Nazarite in, in Numbers chapter 6, verse 9 to 12. We're going to read that here. Uh, it's in the first passage paragraph in the fourth or fifth line. Numbers 6, 9 to 12. If anyone dies very suddenly beside him who is a Nazarite. Well, let me pause here for a second. You guys, 
Okay, let me uh, explain what's going on. So there is, God has called Aaron and his offspring to be priests to God, right? So in the Old Testament, in order for you to serve God, to be a priest, you have to be a what? A Levi from the descendant of Aaron. You have to be from that tribe. If you're from any other tribe in the children of Israel, technically you're not supposed to serve God, right? But there's a provision that was provided for Nazarites. So what is a Nazarite? It is somebody who's not from the tribe of Levi who want to serve God. So they say, okay, I want to serve the Lord. I want to dedicate three, four years of my life to serve God from any tribe he wanted to be. And there is a law for that. There is a requirement for that. And once this person has passed through all the ceremony, they can serve God for three, four years, whatever commitment they want to make to God. Okay? Pop quiz. Do you guys know of any famous Nazarite in the Old Testament? Samson, correct. God said, don't cut his hair. He's never to touch any wine. He's a Nazarite to the Lord, right? He was set apart to serve God, and he was not from the tribe of Levi, right? He's not from the descendants of Aaron. So now you have a Nazarite who's serving God, who's, um, come on, you guys. Good to see you. Um, you have a Levi who is um, from the descendant, uh, well, you have a Nazarite who's, uh, I lost my train of thought. Yes, so correct. So you have a Nazarite who's inside the camp, but this Nazarite, if he got defiled for any reasons, like he touched a dead body or something like that, that's where we pick up in verse 9 to 12. And if anyone dies very suddenly beside him, who's a Nazarite, and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day, he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day, so he shaves his head because he has defiled himself, verse 10. Then on the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves, two young pigeons to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, verse 11. And the priest shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering and make atonement for him because he has sinned in regard to the corpse. And he shall sanctify his head that same day. Verse 12, and he shall be consecrated to the Lord, and he shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb on the first year as a trespass offering, but the former days shall be lost because his separation has been defiled. So you guys see the striking similarity here between how a Nazarite who has defiled himself because he has touched a dead body and that the leper who's now inside the camp is being cleansed to come into the presence of God. It's pretty much identical. You bring a trespass offering, a burned offering, and a sin offering. In the, in, in the case of the Nazarite, if he touched a corpse and then he brought um, the, the offering a week later, then that week is lost from his commitment to God. He has to make it up also as well. Do you guys follow that? So we see here a very striking similarities between how the leper who is outside the tabernacle, inside the camp, is cleansed compared to a Nazarite who's still set apart for God, and this Nazarite now has been defiled because of a dead body or a corpse. Amen? Amen. Point number one. Point number two. We see that this leper stays how many days outside the tabernacle? Seven days. And on day number eight, he enters into the, the tabernacle. And I am not a big fan, generally speaking, of uh, numerology in the scripture and say this number means this or this number means that. For me, if the scripture doesn't plainly say it, it's just guessing at this point. 
but there are some numbers that pretty obvious what they mean. You know, like number seven, for example, we know this is a number of completion. That's just, you know, no, no disagreement there. You cannot miss it. God created everything in how many days? Seven days. And after the seven days, everything was complete. So seven in the scripture, always a number of completion. And then eight in the scripture, generally speaking to pretty simple, is a number of new beginning, right? Even if you go to the account of creation, God made everything in seven days. The eighth day started a new beginning. Now creation is done, established. Now we're in a new phase, right? And even in the story here of the leper, he is to stay seven days outside the, the tabernacle. And then on day number eight, he has a new beginning, right? He's entered into the tabernacle. He's starting something brand new. And that's just a picture that... Even in the New Testament, we see that in order for, for sinners who are just like that leper of the Old Testament come into the presence of God, we have to become first what? New creation in Christ Jesus. When you're a new creation, that's when you can minister to God. That's when you can experience God to the full, right? And we see a picture of that, of the, the leper in the Old Testament waiting seven days outside the tabernacle before he can enter into Onto the uh, seventh days. Amen? Amen. Now, um, um, we see also a very striking similarity between this ceremony and the consecration of the priest in Leviticus chapter 8. Okay? So in Leviticus chapter 8, we see that God is calling Aaron and his children, and they are being dedicated so they can be coming priest and serve God. And in the ceremony that we read about in, in Leviticus chapter 8, we almost read identical stuff that is happening between Leviticus 8 and Leviticus 14. In Leviticus 8, Aaron and the priest has to bring a peace offering, and they kill it, and they bring the blood and put it on the loop of the ear, on the thumb, and on the foot, and then they cover it with blood on the loop of the ear, on the thumb, on the foot. And we see almost the exact same ceremony here in Leviticus 14, right? But there's two major differences between how the priest is sanctified and set aside to serve God in Leviticus 8 and how the leper is sanctified here in, in Leviticus 14. What are the two differences? Number one, the priest is sanctified using the blood of peace offering. But here he's sanctified using the blood of what? trespass offering and that makes sense because this guy is that he didn't sin in the first place but here we know that this guy is a sinner he's a leper he need to be cleansed to come into the presence of God number two in Leviticus 8 we see that the oil is actually a holy oil God said this is holy to the part from me but here in Leviticus 14 we see common oil you just bring any sort of oil will do right but in Leviticus chapter 8, it is not any common oil. It has to be holy oil just made specifically for the sanctification of the priest. So you guys follow me so far, right? It's, uh, this is good. We need to know this stuff. Amen? Forget the light preaching and all this stuff. It's in God's word. You need to know it. Good enough? All right. So now let's dig deeper a little bit into that, that uh, ceremony of how a leper can be cleansed in the Old Testament and enter into the tabernacle. The one sacrifice that God would have never compromised in, if you're rich or poor, is what? 
the trespass offering. God says, I don't care how poor you are. You ought to bring to me a lamb for a trespass offering, right? And notice also in the sacrifice itself, they don't kill the burned offering. They don't kill the sin offering to start with. They start with what? The trespass offering. That's the one they kill. That's the one that they use its blood so they can apply to the ear, the thumb, and the foot. So why? Why is the trespass offering is very important in the cleansing of the leper? Let's see. If you guys remember, when we talked about the sacrifices a few weeks ago, we said that there is a major difference, really one major gigantic difference between the sin offering and the trespass offering. Do you guys remember what was the difference? One unique thing about the trespass offering that is not in the sin offering is that the trespass offering involves compensation, right? Restitution, right? We said that in the trespass offering, it's not just enough you bring the offering. You have to restore what was stolen, and you add 20% on top of that and return it to the person that was taken from or stolen from or messed up with, you know? And that works for God, and that works for men as well, if you guys remember. If you don't, go back and listen to it on our website, all right? So uh, the trespass offering includes restitution, right? And in an essence, that's what the Bible is trying to tell us here. That leper, when he was isolated outside the camp for 10, 20 years, whatever it took for him to be cleansed, two things has happened. Number one, God was plundered. His rights for this guy to worship him for 20 years, bring him offering and all this stuff, was taken away from God for 20 years, right? And not only that, this leper himself has been deprived from fellowshipping from the people of God and deprived from the presence of God and from the tabernacle of God for 10 to 20 years, right? So throughout this leprosy time, there was stuff that was stolen, taken away from God and from the leper. And that's when the trespass offering is very important. When that leper offers the trespass offering, it's as if now there is restitution. Amen. What was taken away from God, which is 20 years of worship, now is being restored back to God. Amen. And what was taken away from that leper for 20 years, being almost a zombie, a living dead person, now is being restored to him. And now he's being restored into the family of God and to worship a holy and a righteous God. Amen? Amen. That's why we see the value of the trespass offering here. We don't see it in the priest. We see a peace offering over there, right? Because now we're talking about ministry. So you guys follow me so far? Good stuff, isn't it? I hope you're enjoying yourself because if you don't, then too bad for you because I love it. All right, so now let's dig deeper into the symbolism that we see in this this, um, ceremony. We see that three parts of the leper need to be um, kind of like, has, you know, has something to do with the ceremony. His ear, right, the loop of his ear, and the thumb of his hand, and the big toe of his foot. And they are, they are to be applied first. They apply blood on it, and then they apply oil on it, right? So what does that mean? And remember, it's the exact same ceremony with the priest, right? So this is very important. It has, it means something to us. Amen? So let's look at these three um, uh, points. Ear, hand, and foot. What does this mean? Ear. The ear in the scripture, this is very interesting. Um, it actually talks about or represents the well of the person. The well. Or uh, committing your future, committing your days, or making a commitment about your future. 
where do we get this from? I'm not sure if you guys know about this, but in the book of Exodus, chapter 21, we read a kind of a strange law that we read about throughout, actually, the scripture, and it's very interesting. The Bible says that if you, if in the Old Testament, you're a Jew or a Hebrew, and you have a slave, you cannot just keep him a slave for all eternity. This is not yours till he dies, right? Because he's a Jew person, because he's a Hebrew, you have to set him free on the seventh year, right? God said that in the Old Testament. If it's a Gentile, it's a different story, but a Jew, you cannot have as a slave forever. But then in Exodus 21, the beginning of that chapter, we read a very interesting law. God says, if the master, if the master who owns a Jewish slave, give him a wife and this wife start bearing children during these six years where he was slave for his master, right? Seventh years come, now this person actually have the right to go free. But if that person who's actually can go free says, I love my wife, he cannot take his wife and kids with him because this was given to him by his master. So this is the master really, he cannot take them with him when he goes free. So if the guy who's supposed to be free says, I love my wife, I love my children, I love my master, then they take that slave and they pierce his ear so that he can be slave forever for his master and he stays with his wife and with his kids for forever till he dies, right? So they pierce the ear as an indication that he made a commitment, this is his will, to be a slave till he die for his master. And again, because he loved his wife, because he loved his kids, and because he loved his master. So in, 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 in Israel, if you walk around and see a person walking with pierced ear, you probably would think, what? This guy has willingly chose to be a slave forever, right? It is very interesting because in the book of Psalms, there is a reference to that law in Psalm 46, Psalm 40, verse 6. This is what the psalmist said. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted. This is the psalmist speaking to God. He said, you don't really care much about these sacrifices and offering, but you have given me what? What is he talking about, open ear? It's not like I can listen. He's talking about that law in Exodus chapter 21. He said, you have given me the desire to serve you forever. This is what you care about. My will be yours. Amen. And the author of Hebrews actually quoted that verse in Hebrews chapter 10, talking about Christ. And he said, same thing about Jesus, in sacrifices and offering. Now, Christ is talking to God in, in Hebrews 10, okay? And he's applying that verse to himself. And he say, in sacrifices and offering, you were not pleased, but you have prepared a body for me. This is what, how it's quoted for in the book of Hebrews. So instead of opening the ear, we read about it in the book of Hebrews, you have prepared a body. What is Jesus talking about here? What is that verse talking about? He's talking about here how Jesus was willing to submit to the will of God, so much so that he came down from heaven and he took upon himself what? A body, just like you and me, to be a servant, a slave, incarnate God. And he walked here on earth. And every time you see at the walking Jesus, talking to people, ministering to people, you see a person who's so willing, so much so to obey God, that he even lift his glory from above and came down to earth to have an open ear or a body. The, the, Hebrew, or the author of Hebrews used, prepared me a body as synonymous to open my ear from 
Psalm 40, which is a reference to that law in Exodus 21. Have I lost you yet? Okay, good, good. Yes, correct. I believe so. Psalm 46 here, that verse refers to that law in Exodus. You opened my ear. And the, then the author of Hebrews later quoted Psalm 40, but replaced open my ear with prepared me a body or gave me a body, talking about the incarnation. So you guys follow me so far? So ear in the Bible is a, script, is, is, is a reference to what? The will. That I am willing to do this. This is my will, and I submit it to the master. And this will has to be, two things need to apply to it. What are they? First thing is the blood. And what does that blood represent? The blood of Jesus. There's no other blood in the Bible that we care about, right? It's only the blood of Jesus. So that well now is under the submission of the blood of Jesus. Amen? And on top of that comes what? The oil. And what does the oil represent in the Old Testament? Anointing. This is simple. We see that it's used to anoint the priest. The priest is anointed with oil in Exodus 30. 22 to 25, anoint kings, somebody going to be a king, they anoint him with the oil. We read about that in the book of Samuel. So oil is a reference to what? The anointing, right? Think about this. Think about that. Do you see what the scripture is trying to tell us? That the one who was once leper, unclean, excluded from the presence of God, now he can serve in the very presence of God in the tabernacle. But how? When his will is being washed by the blood and then it's being anointed by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Does that ring a bell to anybody here? Amen. Amen. It's you and me. This is your story and our story. Amen? And my story too. We are to be washed. Our will is to be submit and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And then after the blood, the Holy Spirit comes and indwell us. After we wash by the blood and make a commitment to submit our will to God, we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Then the anointing and the Holy Spirit come and fill us after that. Not before that. Amen? Yeah. After that. Amen? Amen? So here in the scripture, is, is this is precisely what this law is trying to tell us. Even in the priest, same idea. His ear has to be applied with blood and then oil. Because the point is, the priest is saying, I am submitting my will from now on to God. It's washed by the blood, and now it's anointed by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Now, hand, that's simple in the scripture, is a reference to your action. Many scripture, but just one as a reference. Job 17, 9. Yet the righteous holds to his way, and he who has Clean hands grow stronger and stronger, right? Well, obviously, when the Bible, when Job was talking about clean hands, he's not talking about washed hands, right? He's not talking about somebody who went to the bathroom, washed his hand with soap and water, right? What is, he, what is Job talking about? Clean hands. It's hands that doing righteousness. Actions that is pleasing to God. Action that is free from sin and undefilement before the holy and the righteous God, right? So hands represent your action. And it's the same way in the law of the leper that actions need to be washed by the blood and then anointed by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And the last part is the feet, the foot, the big toe. And what does that represent? Our conduct, how you, how you walk, how you live. Psalm 73, 2. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled, my steps almost nearly slipped. The psalmist here is talking about sinning against God, right? He said, I almost sinned against God. But when he said, I almost sinned, how he described that is, my feet almost 
stumbled. He's not talking about sliding on a banana peel or something like that in the street. He's talking about sin, and he said, when I fall in sin, it's like my feet is stumbled. It's like my conduct is, is misbehaving. I'm misbehaving my conduct. Amen? So feet is a representation of our conduct. Do you see this? The will, the action, the conduct, all of them need to be washed by the blood and need to be applied and filled with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And only then an unclean leper now can come into the very presence of God and serve him for, for as long as he lives. Amen? Amen? Do you guys see this amazing, wonderful picture of how the cleansing of the leper represents how you and me, who were once sinner, far away from God, unclean, now because of the death and the resurrection of Christ, have been brought near into the family of God, and now we can serve him after our will, our action, our conduct is being washed by the blood and is being filled with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. This is good stuff. Amen? All right, let's come before the Lord and pray.